Welcome. We're back on the program. Welcome back uh, to all of you, and thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope you can make it all the way to 11 o'clock, uh, listening to Dana Mikkel. The telephone number where you can contact Dana, it's 587-8775, 587-8775. And we are talking today about a topic that has really piqued his interest, and it is the uh, the, the long-term relationships, the, the, the in-depth, warm, physical relationship, uh, the sexual intimacy, the, uh, the, uh, the desires, the, the, the sensuality, everything that is involved in that part, because it brings so much of us as a person into the relationship. It, it shows much about us. And uh, that's what we ended up at the, at the end of this last past half hour. And uh, so we would like to talk more about how do we think, how do we think about sex. Is that fair to say, Dana? Yeah, Jacobus, when we had to go to break there, we were talking about um, how each and every one of us bring to our relationship lives, to our sex lives, values, meanings, histories, yeah. uh, models, and expectations. Um, so it is important how we think about sexuality um, because how we think about it shapes how we engage it. Um, you know, if we have a real narrow view of sexuality, um, then that is going to shape how we engage it. If we have a very broad view of it, um, you know, that's likewise going to uh, have an impact on our sexual lives. Um, so all these things together, values, meanings, history, etc., uh, they make up our sexual attitude. And what I would like to suggest that in most cases, um, we all would benefit from taking a, a long look at our sexual attitudes and reassessing those. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so anyway, just to get started and, and to think about this a little bit, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of healthy sexuality. I mean, if there's such a thing as healthy sexuality, then there must be something that's not healthy. Oh, I see. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I am, <clears throat> I am not putting forth any truths or anything like that here, but simply putting out some different ideas about how to think about this, how to challenge our sexual attitudes, um, how to take a look at them, to reassess them. Um, so to start with, and again, this is just my opinion, uh, I thought it might be easiest for me to spell out what I would say is not healthy sexuality. Okay. And, and it's, very, it's, it's fairly narrow. Um, <clears throat> and the idea for me is that um, when someone's getting hurt, then then it's unhealthy. When we're involved in sexual activity where someone is unwillingly being hurt, then this is unhealthy. Um, and for me, um, what we're talking about when this is happening is, is we're talking about um, perversion. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to read really quickly from Robert Stoller in his book, Perversion, the Erotic Form of Hatred. Um, wow. And he writes that um, the perverse act is a desire to harm others. Perversion, the erotic form of hatred, is a fantasy usually acted out. It is a habitual, preferred uh, sexual behavior that is aberrant but necessary for one's satisfaction. And it is primarily motivated by hostility. By hostility, I mean a state in which one wishes to harm the other. Um, so, the book is written by who? Do, uh, Robert who? Robert Stoller. He's written... How do you spell Stoller? S-T-O-L-L-E-R. 
Stovall. He's written wow. a number of books on sexuality, gender, and uh, that's a subject. that's an interesting. That's a powerful statement. Well, it is a powerful the statement. Erotic form of hatred. Wow. Yes. Huh. Um, that yeah, the, the the sexual desire and the sexual impulses that they they turn hate hateful in many instances yeah. And, yeah. and become very destructive. Yes. Um, this drivenness of sexuality can take on. You know, beautiful creative forms that can also take on very ugly, destructive forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if someone's getting hurt, in my mind, that's unhealthy. And it's unhealthy because someone's sexual rights are being violated. And, hmm. and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But again, just to get back to this idea of our sexual attitudes, um, if, if you will, they define our sexual comfort zones. And what I mean by this is, you know, inside our set of values and our opinions, um, there's there's a comfort zone where we, we are comfortable thinking about sexuality within this certain perimeter, and we're comfortable with these particular sexual behaviors. Right. Um, when we're inside our comfort zone, you know, we're we're we're, we're locked into our sexual attitude. Um, however. I think that we need to challenge this a little bit, and we need to step back and reassess this. Um, because sometimes to have a healthy sexual relationship, you're going to need to challenge your, your comfort zones around these things, uh, and you're going to need to grow. Um, so again, the idea of sexual attitudes needing to be reassessed and taking a look at, I think, is really important. What do I mean by this? Well, let's just throw out a few words here, um, and hopefully just sort of get a sense of how as we sort of move outside of a comfort zone, you know, different feelings come up. You know, if I bring up the word heterosexual, um, for most people, that's that's going to be comfort zone. Sure. Um, now, if I bring up the word homosexual, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the comfort zone starts to be different. There are some people who are not comfortable and some people who are. Right. Um, if I bring up the word <clears throat> bisexual, that might even further start causing um, changes in people's comfort zone, you know, um, to actually think about a person being uh, bisexual, Um, words gay, lesbian, I mean, even nudity, Um, people have comfort zones. Some people might very well walk around their bedroom um, nude um, and be perfectly comfortable. Uh, Another person wouldn't think of coming out of the bathroom after a shower without their robe on. Um, So... And these are all these are all sexual attitudes, and then they they impact uh, and have an effect on how we behave and how we engage other people, and whether we are having a healthy, pleasurable sexual experience. But of course, if within a relationship, if people are not comfortable walking around in a the nude, then that's okay. If both of, both of them have it, then it's not right or wrong. It is just that you are expressing. The, the differences that we the nuances that we can find in comfort comfort zone in the comfort zone right and and wanting to point out that um, sexual attitudes are highly individualized and they're different for different people so that uh, to understand the idea that sex and sexuality is a very different subject for different people um, and no you're absolutely it is not a question of right or wrong right um, it's it's a question of being able to stop and look at, well, this is a reflection of my attitude. This is a reflection of a value that I have. I and within relationships that could complement each other or it could, uh, it could be offensive to some people. It could be uh, not offensive, it could be opposite. Uh, well, you, you hope to find something in a long-term relationship that is complementing you or that is in your comfort zone, right? 
actually, I, I think that there is a process whereby couples actually build their um, their comfort zone collaboratively. All right. Um, it goes something like this: when a couple first meets, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, if you will, um, investigating the other person, finding out the other person's values, mm-hmm. uh, belief systems. When we're really attracted to another person, you know, we want the relationship to go well. We want to please them. And so we're very, if you will, cautious in the beginning. And we pay a lot of attention to what doesn't please the other person and what does. This happens not just in, you know, from table manners to, you know, how we talk to one another. But as the relationship develops, there is a, um, if you will, a, a, a searching out and a feeling out of what our partner is comfortable with sexually. Um... What happens is that one of the things that can happen is that there's a, what's called a process of elimination, whereby as we experiment with our partner sexually, oh, that's not something that he or she enjoyed, oh, that's something that they did. And so through a process of elimination, we establish the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The things that are that, that we do and we engage in and we're comfortable with, they're in the comfort zone. And right. then these other things, by a process of elimination, are, are, are ruled out. So it is not a question of um, you know having a right or a wrong attitude. But when a, in a long-term relationship, when a couple does confront some intimacy and desire difficulties, which I'd like to suggest is inevitable... That's when these things become important, when sexual attitudes are important, because it most often becomes necessary to to reassess these views and to take a look at them. For instance, it may be a a cooperative decision a couple makes that, uh, you know, walking around nude um, is not something that we do. Okay. However, uh, in efforts to sustain and promote intimacy and desire, um, you know, a reassessment of nudity might become something that the couple needs to do. I see. Uh-huh. In order to promote their own intimacy and their own uh, physical connections, um, this taboo, if you will, on uh, nudity might be something that is inhibiting uh, the sexual relationship, might be something that is preventing growth and development in the relationship. Right, right. Yeah, that is, uh, I like that. that that's, that's very clear. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that's why the sexual attitudes are so important, um, to be able to look at them and, and see how we make meaning. Because I would like to suggest that in any relationship, there's, there's going to be there's going to be difficulties. You know, it starts off with the romantic stage, and there's, a, there's even a lot of neuroscience that explains how when we're romantically involved in the beginning, there's a certain part of our brain that's activated, and when <clears throat> we settle down into a, a longer-term relationship, there's other parts of our brain that are engaged, in, and anyone who's, you know, gone through that process understands that, boy, relationship really does change, and it yeah. grows, and yeah. it has different yeah. aspects and different challenges to it as time goes by. Yeah. So it might be helpful to think that a relationship, a long-term relationship, is going to have difficulties, is going to encounter gridlock, is going to suffer some sexual difficulties. And it's, it's not a question of if that is going to happen, but rather how does the couple engage and manage that and work through it or not um, in order to sustain and maintain their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and when we get into these struggles and we need to work through these things, um, having an understanding of sexual attitudes and, um, and again, this process of elimination, process of, um, yeah, the process of elimination where we get down to what's acceptable um, may need to be broadened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before the program about the, uh, the rate of divorce and the rate of where people just don't seem to be able to work things out. And uh, you mentioned too, often it, 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 it could, uh, not often, it could very well have to do with the way that uh, they look at intimacy and sensuality and how people connect or not connect physically that causes relationship problems. When I go back again to my parents, because obviously that is the uh, that is the statistic that I know of the statistic, but that is the example that I have. I remember that my mother would say that uh, she they got she got married when she was 27, and my dad was um, 30 or 31, and how my um, how my mother would say that if they had this desire to become physically intimate, that in her case, she would just do a prayer for protection, for for not giving into that desire kind of thing. And so they were really abstinent for until they got married. It was really something that they fought for during the several years of engagement or relationship and then the engagement and then the actual marriage. So that uh, when they were wearing the white dress in church, it was really a white dress. They were a virgin. And, uh, and, and today you see, so there is, when you're talking about the observation aspect, um, in the relationship you start because you're not engaging into the physical activity, you are actually involved in a, um, uh, observing all the other aspects of the individual and, and picking up in conversation something about the value system of the partner and see if this may be a good match. Would you say that's that's possible? I mean, that is the, the focus is more on getting to know each other. And it doesn't always have to be physical. And I, I realize that sometimes when they did get married, there was some disappointment there. But at the same... Well, yeah. But at the same time, it seems today, it, it almost seems the reverse. It almost seems like we get physically, we get sexual, we have intercourse on the first date. And and then all of a sudden there's the disappointment and then we say, well, you know, the next morning he or she didn't look so good and I didn't like the conversation and I was drunk and so let's drop the whole thing and move on. And so it, that, that is not always, and of course, again, we're talking about long-term sexual relationships, but if the relationship starts with the intimacy part, then it's a it's a tough build to, uh, to, to build it up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that, that you bring up the subject of, you know, uh, in the old days, people, you know, took a long time. Uh, yeah. At least that was, you know, uh, that was the storyline anyway. I'm not sure it was always that way. And it's interesting to wonder, you know. Well, of course, there's been plenty of abuse. We know about yeah, it. Is, it is, is that a better way to do it than what happens now? Where, yeah, what I hear anyway in my practice is very often, yes, people first date, second date, certainly by the fourth date, they're in bed, they're having sex. And um, I think this is this is quite different. Again, uh, not whether this is right or wrong, but it brings a whole nother dynamic into, you know, our, our, our sex lives. Um, you know, it reminds me of, a, I was 
working with a patient and you know hearing her story of you know a middle-aged woman dating and going through this whole process and I remember introducing this idea of to her of 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 courting mm-hmm. which is what you're talking about this idea of actually dating yes. for quite a while and um, before engaging in going to bed of, of taking time to get to know the other person yes um, I even talked about the idea of actually during that courting phase that's when the sexual energy builds up if you will sure um, and where if you will the excitement um, and the thrill of it all can actually um, take place and so and what was interesting Jacobus is how that idea of courting of what it was about of taking time of of uh, doing things together um, and letting the the rest of the relationship if you will develop slowly yeah um, it was like oh my god you could actually do that Yes. You yes. know, um, so yeah, things have changed a lot. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of times the sexual is introduced, um, you know, at a stage in a relationship where, um, well, I'm not sure the relationship is ready to, to contain it and take care of it. What, and, what do you mean by that? I mean that people find out in that time of, let's call it abstinence or courting, that they realize this may not become a long-term relationship and they break it off. That, that's what you mean? Well, I, th- I think what I mean is more often what you mentioned is that um, when a couple gets physical, say, on the first night or second night or third night, very often they're confronted with afterwards of, you know, like, oh, gee, you know, how do I get out of here? Yes. Um, I don't want to be here. Yes. Um, and so their, if you will, their their desire, their longing um, for this experience um, led them into to a situation that did not have a relationship around it, did not have containment, did not uh, have a way to, to, to care for them, nor did it have a, a, I mean, these things are systems, really, in our, that, that operate in our soul, and when we attempt to isolate them, uh, yeah, I think that it just develops some, some difficulties and some problems. Again, mm-hmm. what we're trying to talk about this morning is the idea of intimacy and Let desire in relationships, you know, in a healthy format. Um, involved in you know human growth and development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it is. Uh, there are any different approaches, and times have changed, but there are still enough people that say, hey, you know, there is another way that we can approach this relationship, and it doesn't always have to be uh, right away on the physical at the first date, but build that up, and then indeed work on a long-term relationship whereby you get to know each other. Because it is not only about the pleasure; it is also there are times when people are not able to do it because of uh, 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 physical uh, limitations, and, you know? and, and, and they again, can still be intimate. And again, yeah, absolutely. And not we, about- should probably, we should probably take a short break for the news. I'm sorry. Right. Hold that thought. Folks, we're going to be right back after the news. Stay tuned, please. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. We'll be right back. But don't forget, folks, that's what you get, folks, for making whoopee. 